Howdy, listeners. It's Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio, talking to you coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. Well, the book tour is over. It was great. Thank you, Iowa. Thank you, Southeast Idaho. Thank you, Boise and Western Idaho. Thank you, Wyoming. And thank you, North Dakota. It was terrific. Met lots of new great people. Got lots of input from a whole bunch of people, like thousands. And I'm going to share that with you maybe a little bit today and a lot next week because it portends what it portended in 2016 with the election of Trump. It portends a pretty good midterm as long as you show up. And listen, we are going to talk about the history of interest rates today. (laughs) Quite fascinating. And it will also give you a feel for what's coming your way intentionally in this case, because they're not out to help you folks, they're out to hurt you. But that's the rest of the story. And we are going to talk about some basic economic data. I know it may sound boring, but you won't find it boring at all. In fact, you'll find it enlightening. And it'll give you an idea on how precarious the U.S., and for that matter, the global economy is, as it comes to normal people. You know, the everyday person no matter what continent you're on, but particularly here in the United States, because that feeds into economic strength or economic weakness. And then we're going to talk about elections. Oh, yes. This is a big election. I mean, you've heard this for the last 10 years, but you know what? This is a really big election because we've never had Democratic Marxists in full control of everything except back in Obama's day. And you know what happened then. And that was when they were still in the closet. Trump brought them out. And then we're going to get into rat-a-tat-tat. Oh, yeah. I don't know how much time we're going to have for it today, covering everything else. But, boy, do I got some great rat-a-tat-tat for you. And we'll see what we can cram into this abbreviated schedule on On the Right Side Radio. Okay, let's get going, shall we? Let's start off with our founder's quotes. Or actually, in this case, the mentor of the founders, Thomas Paine. The first one, moderation in temper is always a virtue, but moderation in principle is always a vice. Think about that when it comes to your politicians, you know, like Liz Cheney, you know, the other rhinos, etc. And then another one from Thomas Paine, time makes more converts than reason. Oh, isn't that true? Think about all the folks switching their minds over from blue to red, or should we say from la la land to America? That's right. It's happening and we need to make it happen come November in a big way, folks, in a big way resounding defeat for Marxist policies. That is really critical. And we're going to be talking about that and how to do it during this show. Our ranch story. So I got back in night before last. Long drive. Holy moly. And I unload everything. And I'm just kind of relaxing with a cup of coffee. Beautiful night. Starry sky. And the pivot field. There's a pivot field out here in front of the ranch house. Oh, maybe 200 yards or so would be the fence line. And it's a favorite gathering place for elk in the fall, particularly at night, of course, because it's green. And there's not a lot of green in Wyoming in mid-September, and particularly this year, given the dry conditions. And sure enough, oh, 11, 12 at night, the bugles of bull elk start to echo across toward the house. And you know, it's one of the great sounds in nature. For those of you who haven't heard it, it's something you, you need to put on your bucket list. And for those of you who have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it reminded me... That no matter how upside down everything is, whether in your personal life or in your family or around the globe or in your country, such as things are now, there are certain patterns, there are certain never-ending seasonal happenings in nature. The change of the seasons, the flow of water, 
spring moisture, summer dry, winter cold, whatever it happens to be. And in the case of wildlife, which are living creatures, obviously, there's the same pattern. And you know, in the end, folks, we humans are wildlife. Oh, a more sophisticated version sometimes. <laughs> Not always, I don't think. But the bugle of those elk reminded me, it brought me back to earth, so to speak, from the not-so-lofty heights of all these current events and nonsense going on in the country, and other things tumbling through my mind, as they always do. So rely on the fact that there is a cadence, there is a season, there is a sequence, there is a timing to all things that really matter. And now let's get started on the history of interest rates. This is pretty fascinating given what's going on with the Federal Reserve in interest rates, we shall see. This past week, they bumped 0.75% to up over 4%. But the history of interest rates over 670 years is startling. Did you know that the interest rates of the last few years were actually the 670-year lows? 670-year lows. If you go back to the beginning, when there was an investing class, kind of the birth of the investing class in Europe, and the Renaissance, and the development of the money economy, Key European ports and trading nations, like the Republic of Genoa or the Netherlands, provided a good indication of the cost of borrowing funds and were really the central bankers of the world, at least the civilized world. The Republic of Genoa, they had a four to five year lending rate and they financed, believe it or not, the Spanish Empire. Genovese bankers financed many of the Spanish crowns, should we say, foreign endeavors, you know, like taking over South America and Mexico, and Texas, etc. And the Spanish crown, much to my surprise in my research, converted shipments of New World silver into capital through these Genoa bankers. And then the Dutch. The Dutch had what was called a perpetual bond. It has no maturity date. It's really a kind of equity. You're like buying stock in a government. You're buying stock in the Netherlands. It was in many ways the first real, should we say civilized, national debt. And the government pays a coupon on perpetual bonds forever. No one has to redeem the principal. It's kind of like a dividend from a blue chip company. By 1640, the world had so much confidence in Holland's public debt that it made the refinancing of outstanding debt with a much lower rate of 5%. Think about that. This is back in 1640. Possible. And the Dutch issued three types of debt. They had promissory notes, which was short-term debt. And they were readily negotiable, and they had to be repaid. And then redeemable bonds. They paid an annual interest to the holder, and the name appeared in public debt ledgers until the loan was paid off. And then finally, life annuities. And they paid interest during the life of the buyer. The death of the buyer canceled the principal. And Holland, unlike Genoa and other countries that were doing the same thing or other central banks, well, at that time, there was no central banks. Other private bankers, merchant bankers, that were doing the same type of lending and financing. Holland dealt directly with bondholders. Pretty interesting. And then in 1752, the British government got into the act. They converted all their outstanding debt into one bond. Gee, you know, a little... A little. Think about FDR, the gold standard, 1930s. Think about Nixon taking us off the gold standard. Yeah, you know, this is nothing new, folks. History has lessons in it. So in 1752, the British government converted all their debt into one bond, the consolidated 3.5% annuity. And it did it to lower the interest rate the government was paying. Five years later, the interest rate dropped to 3%. In 1888, the finance minister of Britain, 
converted the consolidated 3% annuities along with what was called the reduced 3% annuities and the new 3% annuities, gee, is this sounding like, you know, T-bills, T-bond, you bet it is, into a new bond, the 2.75% consolidated stock. And then that interest rate went to 2.5% in 1903. Interest rates, by the way, on these went up Oh, for a brief period, in 1927, when Winston Churchill issued a new government stock, which was called the 4% Consuls, and this was for the refinancing of World War I war bonds. You notice how governments kind of, you know, should we say, move the chips a little bit, you know, spin the thimbles, like under what thimble are they going to pull out the next debt instrument and next interest rate that might help them? And then we come to America, American Ascendancy the United States Treasury Notes. In 1870, the United States Congress passed an act. It authorized three separate consul notes. Redemption privileges were after 10, after 15, and after 30 years. And this was the beginning of treasury bills, folks, which are the modern benchmark for interest rates around the world. They were issued at well under 6.1%, which happens to be the average United States interest rate over the last, give or take, 50 to 60 years. An interesting sidelight. Interest rates were 4% in 1835 in the United States, and Andrew Jackson, who was then the president, paid off the first and only time in United States history all the United States national debt. He viewed debt as a moral failing, or black magic. And he paid off this debt by the government selling big swaths of land to finance the federal budget. However, this influx of land sales... (laughs) fueled a real estate bubble. Gee, is this sounding familiar a little bit? And eventually the economy fell into recession. Oh, gee, are we talking like the 1830s? Are we talking like 2022? I don't know. It's all the same, isn't it? After the Civil War ended in 1865, interest rates began to decline. It was a long-term negative slope. It ended in 1945. In the end, it took almost 100 years of downward slope of interest rates for interest rates to begin to rise on a steady basis. And in the 1920s, the Fed was very reluctant to raise rates. I mean, it was the Roaring Twenties, right? All the political aspects of the Roaring Twenties and the votes and the good times and the, the uh, power and the maintenance of incumbent politicians pretty much forced the political hand of the Fed. They didn't raise interest rates. And this is the result today in real estate and other assets, just as it has been for hundreds and hundreds of years. The result was people went into a stock buying frenzy. I mean, you know, the shoe shine boy down on Broadway in New York would be talking to people as he shined the shoes about what stocks to buy. And of course, banks, greedy as always, think about the mortgage mess of uh, 2007, 2008, 2009, they had to get their little hands into the till. So they began to lend on stocks because, you know, stocks could never go down. It can't happen here. But stocks did go down. And banks failed. And the stock market collapsed. And we had the Great Depression. Now, part of what has changed since about 1700, 1750, is the amount of expenditures that countries make, particularly in the civilized world, for social-type expenditures. You know, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and all sorts of other goodies that you see in the European countries. Where those averaged about 8% of the total government budgets, you know, each country was a little bit different. In the 1700s and the 1800s, now they average anywhere from 30 to 50% of government budgets. And listen, you know, they have to keep buying votes, folks. They have to keep the unsettled masses settled. 
if you know what I mean, with handouts and all sorts of other goodies. And that requires more money. They need more money. And they only have one source of it, your property and your wallet. How many times have I told you that? And so you know, over time, rates usually have cycles that last 22 to 27 years. And when the cycles shift from rising rates to falling rates, it is a quick reversal normally. Think about what happened and how fast rates came down after the 2007 through 2009 disaster. The same thing happened in 1982 when rates were sky high. They reduced literally in a matter of weeks, in fact, not more than one year, almost 4% from 14.2%. Did you hear what I said? 14.2% to 10.4%. Now, when falling rates switched to rising rates, those reversals, in other words, the continuation over time of rising rates, they averaged 2 to 14 years. Think about that. We're only about a year, give or take, maybe a little bit less, into the rising rate syndrome. And bear in mind the 1970s, right? The last time we had inflation. In fact, it was called the Great Inflation. The global stock market was a total mess. Over an 18-month period, the market lost 40% of its value. Real estate, of course, you're, <laughs> you're very well aware of what happened with real estate. And economic growth was weak. Double-digit employment and way high inflation. And bear in mind that the Federal Reserve under Volcker raised rates to 20.5%. I want you to think about that. 20.5%. The current interest rate is about 4% now. Think about 20% then. Think about all the rates that have moved with time and over time. You know, it's kind of like the ranch story. There's a certain cement to the fluctuation of the seasons and to the rise and fall of interest rates and their effects on the economy, on your family, on you, and, as I think we are seeing around the world, on conflict and war. Because, you know, conflict and war, for the elites who send young men and women off to battle and who cares, war is a great way out of economic doldrums, inflation, and high interest rates. And psychologically, it unites people, you know, into a common cause that's usually totally manufactured. And now on interest rates and the rest of the story. Let's talk about what the effect of today's interest rates, the rising rates of today, and the fact that they're going to keep rising, in my opinion, for quite some time. If they don't, then inflation will continue to arise. I mean, you're really going to get it from one end or the other, and right now, unfortunately, we have it from both ends. I've been warning you for, oh, more than a year that this reckoning was coming in real estate. I was a little bit off. I thought it would happen about a year, year and a half ago, but it didn't. And really, the rise in quote-unquote values around the country of more than 20% on average last year in 2021, all that did was set kind of the base for a much more dramatic reduction in real estate values. Mortgage rates have topped 6%. This is higher than any point since the 2008 economic collapse. To give you an idea, the average monthly mortgage payment last year was about $1,400. That figure has jumped $1,000. Same house, same neighborhood, same everything. And it's now 2352 and going up. And would-be homebuyers, they're put off by rising costs, folks. Others are just spooked by the overall economic climate. Concerns about job security, <laughs> we're going to get into that next. And the warnings of a long and deep recession. And real estate particularly residential real estate, and for that matter, other forms of it, are very sensitive. They may be the most sensitive 
of all the industries to interest rates. Because it doesn't matter what you want in terms of housing, it matters what you can afford. And when interest rates rise, you can afford way less, or you can't afford it all. And uncertainty does not breed confidence. And a lack of confidence affects the psychology of buyers. I don't want to get into the weeds on this. There are many things that go into declines in real estate markets. There are two terrific videos that are on the website, on the rightsideradio.com this week. They are right under the audio bar on the current show. They are also in Family Safety, that collection of articles, and they are also in Economy, that collection of articles. They were so good that I put them in three different places or had the producers put them in three different places. And you should really watch at least one of them. I would suggest two. You will note, by the way, that there's some discrepancy in the projections between the two, and they're all experts, of course. You can decipher that. Take the information that they're giving you. Take the information that they're giving you, and you determine what's going to happen. For instance, one set of experts is saying that rents are going to skyrocket because people can't afford to buy, and there's a shortage of housing. Another says, no, all these corporate buyers, like BlackRock, who has bought literally millions of properties, and others, are going to dump them because people won't be able to pay the rent that they need to show the return that they want to see for their investors. And they say rents are going to plummet. And one of the things that we should keep in mind is that if rents go up, that contributes mightily to inflation. So in the short term, if that expert is correct, inflation will increase despite the decrease in overall real estate values, rentals, etc. On the other hand, if the other expert is right, we will see deflationary pressures accelerate in the real estate market, both rental and home values. So that you know, there are a number of markets around the United States right now that in the last 60 days, that's 60 days, this is like overnight in terms of economics, have seen price drops of 20% in residential real estate values. Virtually every market in the United States is now seeing only one offer come in and then not immediately, rather than the multitude of offers people were enjoying just six months ago. And as your interest rates crank higher, going back to our historical story, this trend will accelerate. It is like the bugle of the elk. It is something that is inescapable, inexorable, and based on a pattern of time. That is the time relative to the rise in interest rates and the decrease in the purchasing power and the psychological will to purchase in the minds of buyers. Last week, I told you just using simple math about this sleight of hand, these lies the government are feeding us. The most recent it was, it was Cadaver on uh, 60 Minutes saying, oh, you know, there's no problem with inflation. It hasn't gone up. Well, yeah, when he took office, it was 1.4%. It's now 83 And that is the government figures, folks. Go to shadowstatistics.com. It's over 20% right now. And this sleight of hand, this changing the definition of recession, which they've tried to do, and we are in a recession, does not change, go back to my rant story, does not change the seasonal, the time, or the reality of never-ending cycles, particularly when they are manipulated and they are intentionally induced to achieve a much bigger agenda, another end. The average American is in deep financial trouble. Next week, because I don't think I'm going to have time this week, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's coming. It's known as the earnings recession. 
and it will affect all the companies and will affect how many jobs are out there and it will affect layoffs and I'm going to tell you about the Baltic dry index you never heard of that have you well it's a leading indicator of what's going to be happening with companies earnings and therefore company employment and therefore potentially your job or the job of others and as all people collectively have less money they buy less you know let's go back to our real estate portion of this show just a few minutes ago the average american and we're not talking about just poor americans it gets worse as you go down the ladder the u.s median household income was about seventy thousand dollars in 2020 that's the last year there's statistics from the u.s bureau of labor statistics and households with seventy thousand dollars in 2020 spent $61,000 on living expenses. This is not fun stuff. This is living expenses, housing, utilities, or rent, or transportation, food, health care, taxes, entertainment. That left $9,000 they could use to build savings or pay down debt. Now you know why debt's rising so rapidly everywhere? Consumer prices rose only, <laughs> you know, that's a relative term, 5% in 2021, and about 8% average this year. And once again, that's low, folks. That's government numbers. That's not what's going on. Average wages were only up 2.5% in 2021. They're up around 5% this year. But let's do the math. Math doesn't lie, just like the seasons, you know, the elk bugles in the fall. Don't lie about what time of year it is and what's happening in the natural order. That means a family with a salary of 70000 in 2020 earns about 75000 today. That's adjusting after the last two years' raises. In the meantime, the family's expenses have gone from 61000 to around 70000 That's using the government CPI numbers. Their financial cushion, so to speak, on an annual basis has been cut almost in half in a span of two years because of inflation. And now we're off of interest rates and headed into rat-a-tat-tat. First of all, the credit card companies, Amex, Visa, MasterCards, they've agreed to go along with the totalitarian state and they are now separating out all purchases of ammo and guns so they have a nice list you know at the ATF forewarned is forearmed no pun intended listeners and then we have President Cadaver you know he's done just about 100 executive orders since he took office those orders collectively have cost the American people and the American Republic Somewhere on the low, $3 trillion, and somewhere on the high, $6 trillion. And that includes $3 trillion in lost values, like, you know, the plumbing in real estate and all sorts of other things that we've discussed on this show. And another trillion or so in, oh, should we say inflationary-related costs, you know, like fuel and food. And then another trillion or so coming on the student debt deal, which, by the way, is illegal. We're going to get into that in rat-a-tat-tat. But one of his EOs, uh, in his first week as president, Biden issued Executive Order 14008, quote, tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad, unquote. Amongst the other regulatory actions that that order initiated, the order directed the administration, i.e. the EPA, to pursue the Senate's ratification of what's called the Kigali Amendment to the United Nations Montreal Protocol on substances that deplete the ozone layer. Hmm, there's some leftist terminology for you. That amendment, the Kigali Amendment, mandates a phasing down of hydrofluorocarbons. These are the most common, folks, and the most affordable compounds used in the United States and globally. 
for air conditioning, you know, refrigeration, building insulation, semiconductor manufacturing, even fire extinguishers. Now, hydrochloric carbons do emit some greenhouse gases, but you know, it's really kind of minimal. And this particular amendment that he wants to pass through the Senate, remember the Senate is important, folks. You can't get a treaty passed without a vote in the Senate. They've put this off for six years. And air conditioning, I want you to think about this. So air conditioning, just that one little element. Houses, cars, businesses, offices, hospitals, data centers. I mean, think about the scope of this thing. There's some huge problems in this. Number one, this would subjugate the United States to the United Nations bureaucrats. And secondly, it empowers the Environmental Protection Agency, even though there's been some Supreme Court rulings I've brought to you that hopefully tamps them down a little bit. You know, this is kind of like the UN Small Arms Treaty. The more power we can give away from America and American sovereignty to the globalist bureaucrats, the better in the minds of the ruling cabal. So there's 146 other nations that would be signing on to this. Guess what? The first nation that has to comply is the United States. By 10 years, everybody else gets to skate, including China. And, you know, that poor developing country struggling to make ends meet. And Iran. How's that one? That's terrific. Then there's this billion dollars that has funded the Montreal Protocol to subsidize compliance by developing countries. Guess who put in most of the money? Oh, yeah, the, the United States. In fact, more than all the other 146 countries combined. Bottom line, this doesn't work. And 10 years ahead of everybody else, Americans, basically carrying the world on their shoulders as usual, can expect repairing replacement costs for appliances, air conditioners, cars, you name it, to increase. Yeah, you know, the price of refrigerant used in home air conditioning has already gone up fourfold. So, yeah, by all means, let's make it 50-fold. Who cares? By the way, in the middle of this more left-wing hypocrisy, Biden directs millions of dollars to subsidize air conditioning for low-income families. That was just in July, the July heat wave. Wow. You see a little wealth redistribution going on here? What do you think? By the way, the really good thing about this is that it will save the planet. In fact, they estimate that it will save one-half of one degree Celsius by the year 21. Hundred. Hmm. 80 years from now. That's terrific. Let's jump on board right now, sweat our little temples off and our little armpits off, and save China from having to go with air conditioning. All right. Terrific. Then another great paradox. So I brought you last week the story about California mandating electric cars. And then three days later, the California Power Board saying you can't charge your electric cars because there's not enough power and it's giving us brownouts. Well, it gets better. You know, California is the humorous gift that keeps on giving, unfortunately not for its residents. So the state's emergency generators were turned on to kind of get over the brownout stuff. You know, but they only contribute 120 megawatts. It's a lot, but not much for California, to the grid. And if they fail to make up the strains to the grid, it'll lead to blackouts for 3 million Californian homes. Hmm, think about that. But here's the best part. Do you know what powers those monster emergency generators? Oh, yeah. Natural gas, folks. Fossil fuels. Oh, my. Then, finally, you know, after years of benign neglect or treasonous 
shall we say, malfeasance. The United States and Britain are finally recognizing the threat from Chinese espionage, which, by the way, operates on many levels. I've brought you those stories on the rightsideradio.com. Go back in the archives. So, Nigel Inster, that's I-N-K-S-T-R, a former director of operations and intelligence at MI6, you know, the British spy service. He wrote an article in the New York Times here in the last week. Quote, China has acquired global economic and diplomatic influence, enabling covert operations that extend well beyond traditional intelligence gathering, are growing in scale, and threaten to overwhelm Western security agencies. You know, the Chinese theory of war, folks, if you've read The Art of War by Sun Chu, is overpower the enemy by swarming the enemy. They plan to do the same thing to take out United States aircraft carriers with swarms of explosive-carrying drones, and on and on down the road. They plan to do it with military tactics using their 10 million-person army and their 200 million-person reserves. They did it in the Korean War. This is their strategy. And now they're trying to overwhelm Western intelligence agencies. Inkster, again, his words are better than mine. China's intelligence agencies are now powerful and well-resourced. They are adept at exploiting the vulnerabilities of open societies and growing dependence on China's economy to collect vast volumes of intelligence and data. Much of this takes place in the cyber domain, such as the 2015 hack of the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, in which sensitive data on millions of federal employees was stolen. Chinese intelligence operators are also present in state-owned enterprises, state media organizations, I've brought you that story, and embassies and consulates. China's consulate in Houston was closed by the Trump administration in 2020 after it served as a national hub for collecting high-tech intelligence. By the way, Director Ray, I guess when he wasn't busy hiding stuff from the American public like the Hunter Laptop story, etc., 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 actually had a joint press conference with this Inkster guy from Britain and agreed. Of course, what is he doing? Well, let me tell you what they're doing. So there's this law. Much of the Chinese stuff is organized by what's called the United Front Work Department, which is a CCP party organization. It puts well-placed members of Chinese into communities. China now has a law since 2017 that if you're a Chinese national, or you're from China, and even if you're a citizen of a new country like the United States, you are absolutely bound to report intelligence back to China. Hmm. That means every single Chinese person is a potential spy. I'm not saying that most of them aren't, don't have allegiance, let's say, to the United States if they're U.S. citizens. But think about the swarm tactic. The swarm tactic. And, of course, they have infiltrated all sorts of government stuff. I'm going to have another rat-a-tat-tat story to show you just how pervasive their slimy communist tentacles are. But we know what's happened with Hunter Biden, and we know what's happened with Joe Biden. And you can kind of connect all these dots, right? Our lack of emphasis, shall we say, on Chinese participation in, you know, the Paris Climate Accord, or how about the Kagagi Amendment I just talked to you about? And they're doing this all over the world. They had an example in this press conference There was a British politician. His office got substantial funding from an ethnic Chinese lawyer who then gained access to the British political establishment. And then the Chinese, they cultivate relationships with politicians at the city or community level who show potential to rise to higher office. 
and then elite capture, that's a Chinese term, in which influential Western corporate or government figures are offered lucrative, you know, business opportunities, you know, like Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, in return for advocating policies that jibe with Chinese interests. So the UK is putting together a national security bill. America should be doing the same. In fact, under Trump, they had that legislation. Australia has enacted similar legislation in 2018. This is all to combat Chinese infiltration. So countering the Chinese is a difficult balancing act, particularly where you have large Chinese populations, you know, like Australia and the United States and Britain. The FBI had a program under Trump for preventing theft of economic and scientific intelligence from U.S. universities. The program had a chilling effect. It helped on ethnic Chinese scientists and engineers who felt they were unjustly victimized. And guess what happened with Biden and Ray this year? They terminated the program. Huh. I wonder if that was just ah, deep empathy for our Chinese brothers or whether it was, you know, a little payola. Speaking of China, so we have Danielle Anderson. Now, she was a big fact checker for Fauci and the COVID-19 cabal, I'll call them. And she was a biosafety expert. And she was cited as a biosafety expert by journalists who were seeking to debunk the lab leak theory, which I brought to you in January and February of 2020, a year before everybody else. And she never disclosed, and neither did these journalists, hmm, that she had worked on coronavirus research while fact-checking the COVID-19 origin theories. Hmm. She played a key role in suppressing a New York Post story, you know, which talked about the COVID-19 may have leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China, and was published in February 2020. While she conducted that little uh, sortie into censorship, she failed to disclose that she was involved in a grant for manipulating coronaviruses from the National Institutes of Health. Oh, wow, Fauci and Peter Daszak of EcoHealth Alliance, who funded the Wuhan lab. Amazing. And who knows what benefits flowed her way from communist China, per the last rat-a-tat-tat. And then we have Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. Look, he based the whole thing on the fact that there was a national emergency. Do you understand that? This is the 2003 HEROES Act. This is a post-9-11 law that, quote, permits the Secretary of Education to waive or modify federal student financial assistance program requirements to help students and their families or academic institutions affected by a war, other military operation, or national emergency, unquote. But Biden just went on 60 Minutes and said, the pandemic's over. I guess there's no more national emergency, so maybe we don't have to give back a trillion dollars of student loans? What do you think? And speaking of more corruption, Judicial Watch, they rock. Give them some money. A watchdog group, he, they're suing the Department of Homeland Security over their failure, in fact, their refusal, to release alleged Secret Service records related to a gun incident involving Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Hmm. You know... Either they lie about it, or they don't tell you about it, or they hide it. I mean, it's one of those three, in some cases, a combo of two or three of the three. And then, of course, we have the J6 Committee. What a farce. One of the biggest in American investigatory history. 
you know, Cheney, <laughs> Shifty Shift. I mean, they, they, they got the whole crew on there. And they've been caught time after time after time lying, fabricating evidence, manufacturing evidence, or altering evidence. The latest is it has to do with the Oath Keepers group. Supposedly, there was some exchange that this committee was talking about between Oath Keepers on walkie-talkies in the Capitol, plotting the overthrow of the United States, blah, 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 blah. Well, comes to find out there were no walkie-talkies. There were no conversations like that whatsoever. It was actually people discussing what was on the television. Yeah. And then the committee took videos and dubbed over them with those conversations. We're spending money on this, folks. This is great. It's very American, you know. And then we have tricky Tony fraudulent Fauci. Good riddance, Tony. But, you know, he really needs to be tried for treason and crimes against humanity and then give him his just desserts. Oh, yeah. There's a judge, right? I, t- I brought you this story a couple weeks ago. The 45 high mucky mucks in the government, the press secretary, uh, Collins, the former CDC director, the current CDC director, Fauci, et cetera, et cetera, have been ordered to turn over their emails between them and big tech, you know, Google, Facebook, et cetera, because those emails are going to show that they were coordinating abridgment of First Amendment rights, censorship, et cetera. And, (laughs) you know, Fauci and some of the crew haven't turned over the emails. Well, the judge, who, by the way, was appointed by Trump, is not very happy about this. And he gave him an order. His name, by the way, is Terry Doughty, D-O-U-G-H-T-Y, U.S. District Court Judge. And he has ordered the miscreants here to turn over everything within 21 days, and he made no bones about it. If you don't, it'll be contempt of court, and you wish you had him. The lawsuit, by the way, which got this going, was filed by Attorneys General Eric Schmidt of Missouri, go Eric, and Jeff Landry of Louisiana, go Jeff. By the way, what got the judge really teed off, Alex Berenson, who's a huge, should we say, pro-choice, anti-COVID vax, which is not a vax, and anti-government mandate guy, he sued Twitter because they bumped him off when all this came about. They put him back on the platform. And in the discovery in that lawsuit, there was this Twitter employee email, amongst others, that said, quote, They had one really tough question. By they, he was talking about the White House and the government and the NIH who were communicating with Twitter, etc. They had one really tough question about why Alex Berenson hasn't been kicked off the platform yet. Hmm, gee, you think there was any coordination here, folks? little unconstitutional treason going on? Yep. And speaking of Cadaver's executive orders, he's now issued another executive order. This is really a weird deal. Maybe not so much with the jabs hmm? and what they're finding out is in them. Executive Order 14081 calls for a, quote, whole of government approach, unquote, to advance biotechnology and bioeconomy in the United States. And it calls for, I quote, genetic engineering technologies and techniques to allow scientists to rewrite the genetic code of cells and predictably program them in the same way engineering's engineers program computers, unquote. So this executive order seems to lean heavily toward transhumanism and programming biology. I want you to think about this whole vaccine thing, folks, very seriously, okay? 
Now, obviously, this gene editing has long been described, even more so now, as an incredibly dangerous technology, which could potentially lead to a rather dystopian future of genetic all sorts of stuff. And it suspiciously ties in, if you connect the dots, to a comment made about six months ago at the World Economic Forum. You know, the outfit that's run by our buddy Klaus Schwab. You will own nothing and you will be happy. And this was by Yuval Noah Harari. I quote, not making this up, quote, We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Unquote. Huh. Give that a little thought, folks. And then kudos to Christy Nome up there in South Dakota. She's on that Take Action page on the rightsideradio.com. Send her some money. She is the first governor in the United States to sign on to the Hillsdale College Education Program. I'll simplify it here. And that's called the 1776 Pledge to Save Our Schools. Quote, these standards will set the bar for social studies education in this country and promote a true and balanced telling of American history, unquote. Obviously, the left, who in the last week, think that DeSantis and uh, Abbott should be prosecuted for human trafficking because they're shipping illegals that were human trafficked, according to Biden's policies across the United States border from lands far away, and then shipped in the middle of the night by Biden to points unknown throughout the United States. They're involved in human trafficking because they are busing or airplaning migrants to Martha's Vineyard and Chicago and D.C. You know, those sanctuary cities, the supposedly open arms, you know, illegal aliens, we love you, come here, come here. But the lefties, with their typical hypocrisy, they are jumping up and down saying that Gnome's educational efforts in South Dakota would saddle education with expanding and unwieldy criteria to cover in classrooms but fail to teach students to think analytically about history, unquote. You mean like CRT? And along that illegal alien line of thought, shall we say, or, oh, I don't know, illegal alien stuff, how's that? And also in keeping with our election kind of theme this show, You may be interested or appalled, I'm not sure which, maybe both, to know that a judge, in fact, an appeals court judge in California, not a federal judge, but the California appeals court, has stayed a lower court's ruling and said that San Francisco actually can allow non-citizens and illegal aliens to vote in their elections. And they're getting registered right now, folks. And New York and Chicago and some of the other great cities, you know, in the (laughs) blue-bellied midriff of uh, Democratic Marxist-run cities are looking at doing the same. Isn't that terrific? Gee, is this tied into the 2 million people coming across the border? Hmm, let me think about this. And as usual... We're out of time. In fact, we're way out of time. I'm behind time. We got all sorts of stuff coming to you next week. More election stuff, election fraud stuff, and a lot more economic stuff you have not heard that you need to know to protect yourself, your family, and your country. But in the meantime, look in the mirror, repeat with your family, and say it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and across the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Read Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Talk at you next week. Keep the wind at your back.